I'm really glad that you're here this morning, so thank you for coming and, and taking time out of your week uh, to be here. Um, just real quick, we have membership at Outward Church, not because we believe that the New Testament commands it, but we believe that our uh, current culture um, uh, demands it. Um, we, we believe that uh, in this culture uh, here today, there's so many churches that you could be a part of. You could slip through the cracks, and indeed, you may want to because you don't want anybody to know your junk or what's going on in your life. You don't want anybody to hold you accountable to, to walking with Jesus. And so if that's the case, then if you just don't join anywhere and don't make yourself known anywhere, then I guess you can continue to do that. But if you want to be uh, somebody who uh, wants to be known and wants to, wants to hear back from people... Um, about your life, and if you want to participate in uh, the life that God has called you to as a believer, then we want to invite you to be a part of membership. Again, like I said, it's not a command, um, but it is understood in the New Testament scriptures that there was a church in those and in in various places uh, throughout. Um, uh, the New Testament church. I mean, you, you saw these different groups of people. Paul, the Apostle Paul is obviously writing letters to the church in Colossae and, and Rome and Thessalonica and Galatia and all of the, these places. And so there was a clear body of believers in those, place, those places. And so today we don't necessarily have that because there's so many believers uh, there's so many churches, and so what we want to do is, is who who is who is saying that they belong here, and that they want to be a part of this, that they'd like to submit to the leadership here, and uh, we also want to know who are we responsible for, who do we who, who is asking us to call them out on on their sin, and uh, and really to pastor them and to love them and and things of that nature. So we want to invite you into that relationship. It's a familial relationship. It's a family, and we want to be a part of that with you. So we invite you to be a part of that. And um, so that, that uh, kind of class, kind of get-together, kind of gathering is, is next Sunday um, a- after service, and, and we'll go on for uh, a little while, and uh, hopefully it'll be interesting to you. We, we want to hear from you as well. And so that'll be coming up and as I've been talking about over the last several weeks, THX is coming uh, over, uh, you know, throughout Thanksgiving and things like that. So we're, we're asking you to dig deep. Um, you already have dug deep a little bit. We've seen some of you give uh, towards THX. And so uh, it costs about $70 per family. We're hoping that that's going to be less uh, this year. We're not exactly sure how that's going to shake out, but um, it costs about $70 per family. And so if, if you can give $70 and... and, and uh, um, Sponsor a family, that'd be awesome, or more, that'd be fantastic. If you can do less, that's, that's fantastic. So we're just so thankful uh, for those of you that have chosen to give uh, to this. But it's not just giving, it's serving. And uh, throughout that week, there's more that you can find out at, out at the giving boards. Because God has given generously to us, we want to give generously back to our community. This is a hallmark event for Outward Church. It is a big deal. We're asking everyone who calls Outward Church home and anybody else, uh, believer, non-believer, community, uh, businesses, and organizations to come be a part of this because we help serve, and, and hope, hopefully we're going to serve about 1,000 people this year. Um, it, it, uh, right now, I think we have about 180 families that we've gotten, gotten from, I believe, about five elementary schools, and, um, and hopefully we'll have, we'll have more than that. So we're excited about what's happening with that. Just got the, the school secured through the school district uh, with, um, you know, very little... Um, 
uh, issue, and so that was fantastic as well. So uh, be a part of that, if you would please. And let me just mention one more thing, and that is that we've been talking about finances here at Outward Church, and that's because as we go into the fall, this isn't typically the best time for uh, the budget at Outward Church. Budget is not something that people of this generation like to talk about. Get over it. It's the way, that's the way that things go. And so the, the issue is this, is that everybody loves to give towards the needy family, but doesn't want to give towards the organization that is working to serve those needy families and create these processes. And so what we're encouraging you to do is to continue giving to the general fund, and then on top of that, give to THX. That would be so helpful to us. And I just want to let you know that many of you responded this last month. It was a big deal, and and we were trying to communicate that and just say, um, we, we've taken some steps of growth, and we're <laughs> hoping that the finances follow with that. And this last month, that was true. That happened. Don't give up. Now, when I say these things, everybody's like, oh, good, we don't have to give anymore. Um, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't be that guy or that girl. But, um, you know, uh, but that was really awesome. Uh, we saw, I think it was 10 uh, new individuals start giving. That was fantastic. So let me just say this. Like, if you just started giving for the first time, thank you so much. Like, we value whatever size gift that was. I, I don't care how small you think it might have been. Thank you so much uh, for giving. That is so helpful. It helps us continue uh, with the vision that God has called us uh, uh, to and continue to give. Uh, we're, we're hoping to send you an email with more information and thanking you again here in the next week. And now we better do it because I mentioned that. So, uh, <laughs> so hey, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 4. And so if you can turn there, that'd be awesome. We've been in this series and I want to briefly intro it because you've heard it probably several times if you've been here. But, um, uh, but basically, what, what I just want to say real briefly is this, is that Daniel, the book of Daniel, is so much about us. It is so about our culture today. It is so about the things that we're dealing with and the, the circumstances that we find ourselves in. It's, it, is, it is so much um, uh, like what our culture is like today. Our culture is, is in many ways becoming more and more uh, resistant towards uh, uh, Christianity, religion in general, things of that nature. Um, you've got the Freedom From Religion uh, Foundation that's consistently working to limit the rights of, uh, of uh, you know, Christians and, and re- religions in, in society and things of that nature. So it's, it's getting tougher. And so how do we respond to this? And, and I would say this, that I believe it's an opportunity for those of us who call ourselves believers in Jesus Christ to witness to the reality of what it means to be a Christian. Too often and too, uh, too frequently, it's been easy to be a Christian in America, and really, it's really pseudo-Christianity in so many ways, because so many of us kind of float by. You don't join a church. You don't really connect with anyone, and really, there is no solid connection with Jesus Christ as Savior that is uh, helping you to see who God is, and really, what it turns into is some. T- type of conglomeration of like prosperity gospel where you're like, man, if I serve God or I give a little bit to the church and God's going to help me and my life's going to go better and something along those lines. And there is a litany of teachers there uh, on uh, TV, on the radio that will tell you all kinds of crazy things 
But what the book of Daniel shows us is it shows us something amazing, and that is it is possible to follow Yahweh under extreme persecution. It is possible to submit to the God of the universe, even in, under uh, extreme um, persecution, working for a government that is actively working to limit your rights and things like that, to do that kindly and to see actual results uh, take place in the life of the people around you. And so we're encouraging you in this, and, and God is actually doing that through his word. And so my hope is that you're hearing this. And so Daniel and his friends are people who grew up in church all their life. They're church kids, you know. They, they were sheltered. Perhaps they were homeschooled. If, if, if they were around today, they were homeschoolers. They had only read Bible verses. They had only been in the midst of this, and they get brought into, it's basically Vegas, right? I mean, they get brought into Vegas. Vegas and uh, or wherever uh, that is, and and they they get brought into Vegas, and and basically Vegas says we're going to change your name, you're going to become true Vegasites, Babylonians in their day, but you're going to conform to our way of life, and this is what it's going to look like. And there's all types of efforts to keep them from worshiping their God and things of that nature. And they stand tall as men of God. They stand tall as men of God, and they witness to who this God is in amazing ways. Guys, do you know Christianity flourishes as persecution goes through the roof? When there's not a lot of persecution, when the Christians are in power, when we've got the moral majority, which is so bad. It's, so, it's, it's, it's proclaiming, hey, we're a bunch of Pharisees. Hey, we're a bunch of righteous people. Look at all you dirty, rotten sinners. When Christians are in power, it does not go well oftentimes. We get comfortable, and God uses persecution uh, to um, really purify us in so many ways. And so we're in chapter 4, and so we've been talking about King Nebuchadnezzar. And we've been talking about how we oftentimes associate our lives with these homeschoolers like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we're like, you know, we're these guys and we're going to stand up and we're going to do that and the, this and the other thing. But really what the, the picture that we're seeing here is like Daniel really represents Jesus. And his friends really represents Jesus. And Nebuchadnezzar represents us. Ba Babylon represents us. And so Nebuchadnezzar is this guy, and he's had these dreams and these situations where he's threatening to kill people. If you, if you can't tell me what I dreamed and, and things of that nature, then you're in trouble. And so God keeps kind of coming after this guy and keeps coming after him and revealing himself to him and showing himself to Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar just doesn't seem to get it. He just doesn't get it. And the truth is, is that very frequently it is you and I who just do not get it. I mean, and, 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 and really the truth is, is that as a solid believer in Jesus Christ, what you should know is this, is that my life is peppered with situation after situation where I was like, I thought that I knew God. I thought that I was walking with God. I thought that my life was in the right place. And yet what ends up happening is that I'm just like, I'm destroyed. And I'm just going, oh my gosh. See, I think the, the real sign of somebody who's a believer is someone who oftentimes is secure in their faith and just goes, God, God loves me. He takes care of me. I'm, I'm with him. I'm never letting, he's never letting me go. But you come to this point where you almost feel like, 
I don't even know that I was a Christian before now that I know this. Like, I've been walking as this weak sauce dude, and then all of a sudden God awakens me to his truth and awakens me to his grace, awakens me to his incredible love in my life. Have you had that? Have you been there where you just go, I just don't know that I was a believer before. And let, let me just assure you of something here, and that is that, that, that may have been true, but I, but I, I just, I just want to tell you that God's, God's love is well beyond your ability to love him. God's love for you is not dependent on whether you can love him. God's love for you is faithful when you are unfaithful. God's love for you, God's care for you is so beyond what you can do for God that it's, it's amazing. It's relentless, as we just sang. And so what happens here in chapter 4 is, is kind of interesting because we're, we're seeing a little bit of a, uh, it's like a camp um, testimony or, or, or something like that. I don't know if you've ever been on a Christian camp. And, um, you know, usually on the last night, um, everybody gets up and tells all their sins and, and, and perhaps gives a testimony um, about what happened at camp that year. I, I heard this story a number of years ago from a friend of mine um, uh, who uh, had a youth pastor that basically said that there was this camp. And, it, and all throughout the camp, there's this guy, long-haired, kind of, uh, we used to call them stoners, um, uh, you know, back in my day, but long-haired kid. He's a, sorry to any of you men who have long hair, my bad. But um, anyway, I had long hair, and he was, was uh, kind of going out back smoking all week and, and hanging out with, you know, trying to get the girls and, and all that stuff. And so on the last night, this guy, uh, you know, everybody's in there. There's all these Christian people kind of, uh, you know, saying, man, God did this in my life, and God did that in my life I, at this camp. And then this kid kind of walks up front, and he grabs the microphone, and he says, man, I came to camp this, this week, and uh, I, uh, I started a relationship with God, and and it was effing awesome. <laughs> and the whole place goes silent. He did not say effing. The whole place goes silent. You know, all the homeschoolers are like, <gasps> oh, my gosh. <gasps> and uh, the youth pastor was just like, what do I do? Oh, my gosh. And then finally he just goes, Yeah. <laughs> That's all you can do. That's all you can do in those situations. It's just like, well, all right, we got some explaining to mom and dad to do, but uh, somebody got saved apparently. But that might be a little bit of what Nebuchadnezzar is doing here, right? The guy has been around back smoking all throughout camp, right? I mean, this guy is, God has been like pursuing him and like sending him these dreams and, and, and basically saying, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, your kingdom will not last forever. My kingdom will last forever. Your days are numbered. Mine are not. You should get this straight. And Nebuchadnezzar's like, yeah, and he pays lip service to this God. He pays lip service, so he has this camp high, and then he leaves camp, and then it kind of fades off, which we know happens with camp things a lot. They have this high mountaintop experience, and then he walks away. And then he has another high mountaintop experience, and then he walks away. 
And what's happening in his life now is that we may be done with that because all of a sudden we come to this experience that's uh, going to take place here. And he's, he's basically going to tell us his testimony. But read what Nebuchadnezzar writes here. It's a letter. And it, and it says this in chapter 4, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. Wow. Woo. Man, when you hear someone talk like this that's just been you know, crazy and their life is like going nuts and then all of a sudden, man, I want to talk about how amazing the God of the universe is. You just go, oh, it's good. And it's really good because he says, how great are his signs How mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And his dominion endures from generation to generation. Whoo, finally. God's been knocking on Nebuchadnezzar's door. Hey, uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, you need to know your kingdom will not last forever. And it's just like he finally got it. But now he's going to start saying, so here's, here's, here's how it all happened. Here's what took place. So we're, gonna, we're going back in time now. So this is how it took place. I was living my life the way that I wanted to. Just read what he says. Verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. Stop there. He did, life was good. He had, uh, you know, the world by the tail. I mean, he is the most powerful kingdom at the time in the entire world. And it seems that God confirms this through the dream, another dream that he gives him here in just a moment. But he has the world by the tail. I mean, life is going good for him. He got the girl. He's probably got 50 of them. He might have hundreds or thousands of girls, whatever. I mean, life is going good. He's at ease in his house. So he's comfortable. I mean, he's, he's got an amazing easy chair. He has the cars that he wants, the chariots, the, whatever he wants. Life is going well for him. He is satisfied with life. What's he say? At prospering in my palace. His job is going really well. Like, what do, I mean, and, and really, what happens when this takes place in our own lives is essentially like God begins to drift. We had a mountaintop experience because life went off the rails. We go to camp. We go on a mission trip. We go uh, somewhere. We go to church. The pastor says something that's like, dude, he's speaking to me. I, I don't know how many times people have said, I'm like, like, did you know that I was here? Like, like, did someone tell you my story? And I'm like, no, God was speaking to you. But you have these moments where you hear from God. And so that's, that's what's happening. And then all of a sudden, that all starts to drift away. And pretty soon, life is going better. And you get married or you get the job or what have you. And you begin to drift. Listen, we are not Daniel. We are not that guy. We are Nebuchadnezzar. We have experiences with God that lead us to him. And then pretty soon, we're just comfortable There's nothing really pushing back against us. There's nothing really taking place. It's just like, I'm uh, I'm comfortable in my world, and everything is going good. And so he says this, verse 5, I saw a dream that made me afraid as I lay in bed. The fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. He's like, "Uh uh-oh, here it goes again. Uh, 
God, for some reason, God just continues to send this guy dreams and visions because that's the way that he is able to speak to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar seems to always respond to a dream. He's like, oh, man, here's another dream. Uh-oh, what does this dream mean? He's, be, he's beginning to experience trouble again. Again, there's cracks in the foundation. He begins to feel it. He begins to feel like, uh-oh, things, things are not going to go well here right now. And so what takes place? Verse 6, so I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon would be brought before me that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Now we have seen in Nebuchadnezzar's life repeated instances of how uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these followers of Yahweh, worshipers of the one true God, have stood up and have said, we will not bow down to your gods. I, I cannot eat that and defile myself. I cannot do this. I cannot do that or explain the dream to him. And it seems like he's just like, oh, yes, okay, I'm there. I'm there, yes. But the, what's really happening is that it is just lip service. It's just lip service. It hasn't hit his heart. It hasn't penetrated his heart. It hasn't really gotten there because of this. Because he's had those experiences, and yet he still returns to the same old sources of information for him. What's it say? Verse 7, Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream. But they could not make known to me its interpretation. At, and and what, what's happening? He's, he's going, man, I'm going back to the same people. I'm going back to the same folks that, uh, that I keep going back to. And what it's like for us is this is that life begins to fall apart. And those of you who grew up in the church or something like that, you say, well, you know, I just need to work harder. I just need to work harder. Like, I just, I just need, I need to please God, and then therefore God, God will be pleased with me. I'm just working, 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 working. Or it's like, you know, I, I just, I, I need some good advice. And so instead of going to the place where God really made this mountaintop experience, because that's what I think those experiences are for is to show us this is where true wisdom comes from. Come back here when you go off track again. But instead of coming back here, he goes to the magicians, to the astrologers, to the Chaldeans. These people are spiritual people. They have so-called information. They have so-called worldly wisdom. And, 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 and he's going to them and he's saying, tell me what life is all about. Tell me what's wrong with my life. There's another possibility too, and that is that he's just going back to the same old sin. He's just entering in again. Things get difficult, and I end up in that sin. Things get hard, and I, and, and I go to that. It, it may be that you, you, you go to substance abuse. Life gets hard. I can't deal with it. And the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, these people for you are basically, I just want to check out. Wisdom for me is check out. That's wisdom. Wisdom for you may be, I, I, I just need uh, sexual sin in some way. I just need to hook up with somebody right now. I just, I, 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 I need something else other than my spouse whether it's porn or an affair or something like that. 
And the Chaldeans and the astrologers and the magicians of our day will say, you know what, you just be you. You just go after whatever it is that makes you feel happy, that whatever makes you feel good, you just go do that, and that's where you get true wisdom, is you just be you. You just, you just buy into that ideology, and that is pervasive in our society. Just whatever you want to do is what you should do, but it's, it's insanity. It's insanity. Hugh, one of our uh, pastoral um, residents here, was saying, it's like going to the fridge repeatedly, expecting there to be a new kind of food in there. Like, like you know how when you get hungry in the, in the evening and it's just like there's nothing in your fridge? And you go there and you look at it and you just go, that's old. I don't want to eat that. I don't want to, you know, whatever. I, I did this just the other day. I kept going back to the fridge. And, and you, you know, you're looking at the stuff that's like it's been in there for a while. And science says, this is probably going to kill you, right? Like, and so, not that my wife leaves things like that in the fridge. But th- there, there is that question in your mind, like, uh, like, I should probably not eat this because I'm probably going to be really sick for a little while. But then you keep going back to the fridge and you go, you know what, I'm just going to check one more time. Maybe I missed something underneath here, right? And you open up that drawer, ooh, that, no, I didn't miss anything there. Like, I mean, you keep looking, you keep going back, keep going back. And then pretty soon I begin to tell myself, if I put it in the microwave long enough, will that kill the bacteria? Like, <laughs> I think it will. I mean, you get open flame next to something and it's sterilized, Right? Not that a microwave is open flame, but I mean, you can just get it hot enough. And I've done that before. I I just got to admit. I got to admit. It's going back to the fridge over and over and over again, expecting to see something else. And you just never get it. And we keep going back to the fridge of life. We keep saying, "I, I want you to provide me with something. Provide me with something. Provide me with something. But all it is, is it's old, it's stale, it's dried up, and it's rotten. And it's just going to make you sicker. And so what happens here, it says in verse 8, At last Daniel came in before me, he who was named Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians. Stop right there, sidebar. Daniel is chief of the magicians. Somehow, it sounds like he has a leadership position over these guys. He is a follower of Yahweh. Somehow, he's able to exist in a secular environment without booting everybody out of the way. The beauty of it is is that their foolishness is contrasted with his wisdom constantly. Instead of getting everybody else out of there, he exists, and he is, it seems like he's serving these people as a leader. Side note. So it says... Uh, chief of the uh, chief, where was I here? Yeah. And Daniel came in before me. Uh, I already read that. Verse 9, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. Now stop right there for a second. Like, why did he not go to Daniel in the first place? Why did he not do that and say, 
I mean, because when you, when, you, when you hear the dream here in a second, it seems pretty obvious. Like, hey, this is another dream from Yahweh. Yeah, it's not going to go well for you. But what's he dealing with? He's dealing with an internal guilt. He's dealing with a guilt that says, you have blown it. You are not walking with God. You are not in the right place. You're in the midst of sin. And what is that? What is that for us? It's like I'm just, it, 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 it can range from I'm just not acknowledging God in my life. I'm just not acknowledging God in my life. And instead of going to the true and the living God, I go, uh, and, and life isn't going well for me, and so instead of going to the true and living God, I go to leadership books or self-help psychology. And instead of going to the true source, I go to all of these other sources. Like, uh, I feel like things are not going well in my life, and, and, and perhaps it has to do with the fact that I'm sleeping with my boyfriend and my girlfriend. I'm engaging in sexual sin on a regular basis. And, and instead of going to the true and the living God and saying, God, what do you think about this? Instead of going to a pastor or to somebody who... Uh, who, who is going to speak truth to me because I've had that mountaintop experience at church or I've had that mountaintop experience at a camp or I've had that mountaintop experience with a friend. And instead of going to that friend, I begin to say, you know what, you're bigoted and you just don't, you just, you just don't, you just hate me and you don't want me to have any fun. You don't realize I need this. I gotta have this. And instead of going to them, you just go to someone who is going to tell you what you want to hear. That's it. I'm struggling with my sexuality. I, I'm, I'm, I'm having same-sex attraction. I don't feel right with my gender. Instead of going to a pastor who's going to love you and say, I'm so sorry that you must be in such incredible pain because maybe you grew up in the church or you're just not sure what to do with it. Instead of going to the source of life, you go to the world and the world is saying, whatever you feel, Whatever you want to do is your truth, and you should do that. And it ends up in more pain and more brokenness. Instead of going to the true source, you go to someone, and I go to someone who is just going to tell us what we want to hear. There's no courage in that. There's no wisdom in that. It says in... Proverbs 26, 11, like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar was doing. And guess what? That's what you and I do repeatedly over and over and over and over again. We just constantly keep going back and saying, you know what? I'll just take another bite. I'll just. So it says this. In verse 10, the dreams of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its uh, fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. And the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh 
was fed from it. Now, what is this picture? What's the picture that God is giving to Nebuchadnezzar? It is a picture of his self-image. Dream after dream, uh, everything that's happened in his life is God showing him, this is what you believe, this is what reality is. And through this dream, what we see is this, my greatness, it encompasses the world. My greatness is huge and it's massive. This is his self-image. This is what he believes to be true about himself. This is what he believes is actually where it's at. He has grown comfortable in his palace, in his job. He's got the wife. He's got the husband. He's got the, what, or she's got the husband, I should say. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, everything's working out in their personal life, and they feel like they got the world by the tail. There's nothing else that they want. Their self-image is projected in their mind as this is what I am. Make no mistake about it. This is his self-image. He sees himself as a benevolent dictator. I'm helping these beasts of the field and these birds of the air. They find rest, and, I'm, and I am somebody who is providing for all of these peoples of the world, is what he believes. Verse 13, I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beast flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beast in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's. And let a beast's mind be given to him, and let seven periods of time pass over, uh, pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the kingdom, uh, 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 the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. It should have been, it should have been a huge indication. This is from God. This is about me. He says this, that the living may know that the most high rules. Look at chapter 3, verse 26, where it says this, then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High. He's, he knows who the Most High is. He knows what the answer is. He knows who's talking to him. And yet, he still goes to all of these other sources. He knows who the Most High is. He does not want to go to God. Why? Satan loves to see unconfessed sin. He is able to do the most damage in our lives. Not that I believe that you can be possessed because I don't as a believer in Jesus. But he can wreak havoc in your life as long as it's just you. 
as long as you don't tell anyone that cares, as long as you just go with what the culture says, he can wreak havoc in your life. Why doesn't he recognize that this is from God? It's just putting it off. It's just putting it I don't want to actually deal with that. I don't want to walk into that. Where are we at with that? Is he wreaking havoc in your life? Is he wreaking ha- that havoc in your life and, and causing the wheels to fall off? And it's, and it's simply because you refuse to acknowledge the Most High. He knows who the Most High is. You know who God is. And yet you and I return over and over again to the same old ridiculous sources. Verse 18, the dream, this dream, I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Okay, now... Uh, Now I believe that you're the guy that can. Uh, I've been brought to my knees. I'm troubled enough. And so now, Daniel, you take a shot at it here. Verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My Lord... May the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. That's not good, okay? That's not a good interpretation. That's it, like, he, uh-oh, you're in trouble. Again, Nebuchadnezzar. Things are not going to go well for you. Look at, but look, as another side note. Look at what's happening. Daniel has a friendship with Nebuchadnezzar, it seems like. Look at the respect that he uses. My Lord, he says, let not the dream or the interpretation. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, my gosh. Where am I at here? I totally got lost. 20. I'm at 20? 20. Oh, whew. this is bad. Okay. We'll cut all that out of the pod- podcast. Here we go. Verse 20. What, what's, what's he saying? He's saying, I, I, I honor you. I, I, I honor you. I, I, I don't want this to be true in your life. This is a, a, side, a sidebar to this whole sermon. But he's saying, I don't want this to be true, but this is what's going on. He says, the tree you saw, which grew and became strong so that its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, and whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High which has come upon the Lord, uh, upon my Lord, the King. 
that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. What did he just say there? The interpretation is pretty obvious. It is not going to go well for you. It is not going to go well for you. And the reason is this, is because you don't know that it is the Most High who rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Let's just stop and think about that for a moment. All sin, all sin is an effort to say that I rule, that I'm in charge of my own destiny, that I, that I do whatever I want whenever I want. It is to say that I am in charge, that I am sovereign. And what does God say back to us? What, it, what is God continually trying to communicate to us? He's trying to communicate to us the same thing that he's saying to Nebuchadnezzar, which is this. You must know that it is the Most High who rules over all. See, there is a battle that is going on in our hearts that says this, I'm in charge, God. I'm in charge. I'm the one who rules. I rule my own life. I've caused my own destiny. I'm the one who's made this great job, and I'm the one who's created this incredible family. I'm the one who's, who's uh, pounded out this path. I've pulled myself up by, by my bootstraps. Religious people do this when they say, you know what, I'm, look how righteous I am. Look at all the good things that I've done. Look at the way that I live my life. It is the same thing that the unrighteous does, except in a righteous way. It is to say that I rule over all my stuff. I am in charge. I am sovereign. I am the ruler. I am the one who is reigning over my world. And so what does God do? God uses difficulty in our life. Not all difficulty not every bad circumstance is the result of us saying, I am in charge, I rule. We live in a broken world, we will run into those things. But God oftentimes uses the results of our sin. God oftentimes uses circumstances in our life to allow us to see you have been dependent on you. You have been dependent on you. As we were talking about the sermon this week as a staff, one of the guys uh, came up with this statement that said, God pursues us until he rules us. But it, it kind of says this. It kind of says, God's going to pursue you until he gets to the point that he is the one that's actually ruling. But we're not actually intending to say that he stops pursuing us at that point. What we're saying is this, is that God's pursuit of you goes Till he rules in every area of your life. The insanity that sin is. 
that, that you continue, you and I continue to uh, do the same thing, expecting different results, as, as they say. We continue to go back to the fridge. We continue to go to Facebook or to pop psychology or to whatever our culture is saying. We continue to go back. We continue to go back. And God puts little things in our life that say this, that I am going to be faithful to you even in the judgment that I bring in your life. God's faithfulness can be measured in the way that he disciplines us. God is faithful to discipline his kids. God is faithful to say, man, you continue to believe that you are sovereign, which is not true. You continue to believe that you're in charge. You continue to believe that somehow that you can make this happen, that you can soothe yourself with with addiction, that you can cause things to be different through your sexual exploits, that you can can just insert it there through your self-righteousness. And God shows us his incredible love by pursuing us through discipline over and over again. And what is he doing right here and right now? He is warning Nebuchadnezzar. What's he warning him of? I'm in charge and you're not. I am in charge, God says, and there's nothing about you that is in charge. I put you in that place. See, the whole thing is this, is that if you're going to come to God in reality, I know you might have grown up in church. I know you may, you may have had a camp high experience. I know that there's a, a, a lot of things going on, but I got to tell you that there's a lot of Nebuchadnezzars in this room, and I was one of them, and I, and, and, and I believe that I am not uh, in every respect today. But let me just tell you, there's a lot of us in this room that act just like him. We reject his sovereignty. What is it about us that rejects God's absolute control over our lives? It's, it's, it's the, the, it is the fallen human condition. It is the root of every human being. It happened in the garden, and it happens today. The garden meaning Adam and Eve rejecting God's will over their own. It happens day in and day out. And do you see that when you go and you live however you want or when you're living self-satisfied, hey, I've got the world by the tail, I've got this, do you see that is, that is you asserting your sovereignty over the will of God? Do you see that you and I are exclaiming aloud and pointing our finger in the face of God and saying, how dare you try to take control of my life? But God's grace to you, God's grace in your life is that he pursues you till he rules you in every area of life, in every part of life. And so you come to this point where you have this experience with God and you just go, ah, I finally have arrived I've gotten there. And then God continues to pursue us. And he says, yes, but now that you've gotten here, now I see something else. 
that's going on in your life. He saw it all along, but now he wants to say, okay, we've dealt with this. Now let's go here. Now let's go here. Now let's go here. And God is pursuing us by allowing our lives to be destroyed sometimes. Sometimes. God is, and, and really, every time as we say, God, it is up to you whether I have wealth or whether I don't have wealth. God, it is up to you as to what happens in this world, whether people do things against me or whether I do things against uh, other people. God, it is your sovereign will that's taking place. How do I submit to it? How do I submit to who you are? It says here in verse 26, and as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may be perhaps a lengthening of your prosperity. Daniel says it's, it's not final yet. You can do something. It's, it's, not, it's not final yet, okay? And, and so Nebuchadnezzar, just please hear me in this. Uh, you've got to break off your sins by practicing righteousness. And what's he saying right there? You know, Nebuchadnezzar, you've had some experiences with God, and somehow you look back on those, and, and, and somehow, you know, you can call on Daniel and say, serve unto the Most High God. You serve the Holy God. And, whatever, and somehow you think that that somehow has connected you to God just because you have intellectual assent to the reality that God is that. But intellectual assent to a reality isn't really trust in that reality. It's not real faith. It's, you've given lip service to something, but it actually isn't true of you. You've given lip service to something, but yet you oppress the poor. Nebuchadnezzar, you, you've given lip service to something, but you don't really dwell in righteousness. You're not really after righteousness. God isn't progressively changing your life. You're not submitting to his will. What's true of you is that you've given lip service to God, and yet you live some other way. There's no discernible difference between you and somebody who's, who's a non-believer or a, a follower of some other uh, religion. There's no discernible difference. And you come to God as a purveyor of goods and services, as a consumer, and you come and you say, I want to consume from you, God. Or it's because people, you've always done this. You've always gone to church. You've always been a part of this thing. Or it's just life is falling apart right now. But what's not true of you is that you are a true follower of Yahweh. You are somebody who has given lip service. You've given intellectual assent to it. But there is not real heart change, perhaps, in your life. And it shows in these ways. Money, sex, and power, just right off the top. How do you spend your money? Is there ever a time that you have given money to God? 
Is there ever a time that you, that you, are, that you are giving up that sexual sin where, and you're growing in that? Is there ever a time where you're using power appropriately? Are you growing in those things? Are you saying, God, I want to worship you with the way that I live my life? Or is it just lip service to him? Because it is important. And it may show that you have an unbelieving heart, like Nebuchadnezzar was. The Apostle Paul says this in Ephesians 4, verse 17. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding and alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness, to their hardness of heart. That is all of us prior to Christ. He's saying this is how the world operates. It says in verse 19, they've become callous. Have you become callous? It just doesn't matter. It's just something I do. It's just the way that I am. And have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That's Hollywood. That's our world. Display it on 50 shades of gray. You can treat a woman any way that you want, as long as it's sexually pleasing to you. But then, when they do that, crucify him. Hollywood, in our world, speaking out of both sides of its mouth. Do you listen to them? That's ignorance. Do they tell you how to live? That's ignorant. They don't know what they're doing. They've made the bed that they sleep in. They've produced the movies that produce the character and, and, and men and tells them that they can do whatever they want. This is the insanity of our world. And do we walk in that? You bet. I'm always a target. I'm always somebody who's this close to giving in. You are the same. But am, am I practicing righteousness? Am I caring for the oppressed? Or am I just caring for myself to thine own self be true? I'm just going just, just to be me and my truth. Oh, that's pretty. But there's a lot of guys who are being crucified in the media that live by their truth. Is that statement still true? It ain't. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that is not the way that you learn Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The weight of that. Like, I've got to let this world go. I've got to set this stuff aside. I've got to, I've got to, I've got to. And the horrific thing about it is that we know, you and I both know, I constantly fail. I 
constantly fail. I don't do what's right. I'm going to go back to that eventually, probably. I'm hoping that I don't say, God, please don't let me. But I'm going to go back. I'm going to go get wisdom from the world. What do I do? What do I do? I'm, I know that I'm this person. You might be sitting here just saying, I'm doomed. I don't have what it takes. I don't know what I'm going to do. But the beauty of this, that's not the way that you learn Christ. You know what that means? It, mean, it means this, that there's something incredible in who Jesus is. There's something incredible in what he's done. There's something amazing about what he's done. And the amazing thing is this, is that God's pursuit of you and God's love for you is not dependent on your ability to fulfill that righteousness. It's not dependent on that. Paul says in uh, Philippians 3, he says, hmm, verse 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from doing what's right, that comes from doing the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Do you know what that says? It's that you could never fulfill this righteousness on your own. You can never fulfill it. You can never be satisfactory to God. You can never do it perfectly. You won't do it. You can't. Without the righteousness of Christ coming first. You cannot fulfill it. You can't make God happy. You can't make him love, it, love you anymore. You can't make him do things that you want him to do. You can't do it. But do you know who can? It's Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who goes to the cross. And what he displays on that cross is not just, hey, crucify yourself. By example, you should crucify yourself because I did. No, it's not just an example of what you should be like. It is for you. It is for you. It's in place of you. It is God allowing the Son of God, God in the flesh, to be killed for you. Because you and I, just like Nebuchadnezzar, continually screw it up. I keep walking away from God. I, I don't have the righteousness that I need. But you know what it, it does for us? And now allows us to live out of that gratitude. It says, I'm, I'm deeply loved. God pursues me till he rules me in every area of life. And God, I'm so thankful for your discipline. I'm so thankful for what you do in my life. I'm so thankful for what that is doing. Where are you at with that? 
Is God sovereign over your life? Or are you still trying to take the reins? What area of your life needs to be adjusted? Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word and that you, you're, you, you have spoken truth into our lives this morning just through your word. Lord, I'm asking that you would do something amazing here. Lord, that you would cause us to be different people, that you'd expose us, that you would allow us um, to be real with one another. Lord, that we could receive your gospel in a way that we've perhaps never received it. Lord, for those that walked in this morning with just intellectual assent, Lord, with just... Um, with a, a faith that maybe not, not even their own. Lord, would you awaken us to your reality? And it's in your name that we pray, amen.